For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, learn about the early history of the Rito racetrack from Daily Star columnist David Layton. Meet a young composer from neighboring Sonora who has her sights set on writing scores for top Hollywood movies. A Tucson native shares memories of being a teenager in the 1970s. And a recent concert shows how one style of music continues to build generational bonds. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. It's David Layton's job to explore Tucson history, unearthing the facts behind local legends for his monthly Street Smarts column in the Arizona Daily Star. For instance, Layton wrote about the history of rancher J. Rukin Jelks and the founding of the Rito Racetrack. So Rukin Jelks was born in Arkansas in 1899. He grew up on a farm near the town. His father was a southern gentleman farmer who grew cotton, but his real passion was botany. Now, Jelks himself also had a passion, but that passion was animal husbandry, particularly horses. Now, after high school, he joined the military at the very tail end of War I, and uh, after a short time there, came back to Arkansas, uh, where he attended the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, Arkansas. But shortly after his return, he came down with tuberculosis. Yeah, a lot of times when we look into state history, we find that some very significant people ended up relocating to the desert uh, just for that purpose, to recover from tuberculosis. But it doesn't seem like having his illness uh, slowed him down, quite literally. Yeah, after he arrived at the University of Arizona, um, he actually competed in track and field, uh, the 100-yard, 220, and 440-yard dashes. Well, then in 1925, you write about a historic bridge party that occurred. Who was there and why was that an important moment in this story? Mrs. Melville Haskell, uh, the wife of Melville Haskell, uh, threw a bridge party at the Tucson Gulf and Country Club located on Broadway Boulevard in Country Club Road. Now, at that event, um, the family first met and they would go on to have a lifelong uh, friendship and uh, partnership for many years to come. So back in the 1920s, you really didn't have much in the way of like organized horse racing in the Tucson area. I mean, what you'd have is your traditional match races where one person with a horse uh, would brag to another person with a horse and say, my horse is faster than yours. And sometimes they would lay down a wager of money or, you know, sometimes they would actually wager the horse themselves. Well, it seems like some of the desire on Jelks's part to begin to do a little bit more with amateur and then later professional horse racing might have come from a young man who just knocked on his door one day. So there was a young lad, probably about 15 years old. Uh, his name was Frank Figueroa. His family lived in the general area of the Rincon Valley. Uh, by this point, Jelks and Haskell both owned ranches uh, in the Rincon Valley. And what Jelks decided to do with this young guy, he was a very small guy, weighed very little, like 65 pounds. 
Jokes was very knowledgeable in horses, and Figueroa was very young and wanted to learn. And they kind of raised horses together. At first, it was thoroughbreds. And then as time passed, uh, quarter horses kind of came into the picture. When they were starting to do this racing, where was the first track? Jelks himself built a racetrack on the Rincon Creek close to his property. But as the creek got filled up with water uh, during the flood period, it kind of destroyed the track. And so he ended up building another track closer to his ranch home. Uh, As the years passed, I think it was around 1937, uh, a guy by the name of Bob Locke decided to uh, have horse races at his horse farm that was called the Multaqua Horse Farm. It was located on Indian School Road, which is now called Ajo Way. After about six months, Jelks, Haskell, and Locke um, decided they were going to put on some formal horse racing. And what they did is they got permission to run races at the uh, rodeo grounds on South 6th Avenue. And they raced there for a couple months, spent quite a bit of money, uh, brought in you know top-notch horses from around the country, mostly from the Southwest, Texas, California, New Mexico, Colorado. Unfortunately, they basically lost their shirts. In 1940, Bob Locke decided to purchase some land along Sabino Canyon Road and the Tanka Verde River and decided he wanted to run some amateur races again. Uh, they originally, there were amateur races, no betting and stuff like that. And so he uh, built another racetrack called the Multaqua Track there, raced for a couple seasons, uh, did pretty well. Now, in 1940, Jelks had also purchased a new piece of property. Uh, this was on River Road, uh, just east of First Avenue. And he had built his own little training track where he trained his own horses, and he was breeding horses there as well. So they decided temporarily to move the horse racing operations over to uh, what became the Rito Racetrack on River Road. When they first opened up, they actually built what they call a straightaway or a chute. That chute is where a lot of the rules and regulations for modern-day or organized quarter horse racing were developed. So by the end of the 1940s, would you say that Rito was getting national and even international attention? All the top horses in the Southwest would come to Rito to race in the uh, the World Champion Speed Trials held there. Uh, But it grew and grew and grew quite a bit at the uh, end of the 1940s. That was some local history from Arizona Daily Star columnist David Layton. Right now, a 16-year-old from Sonora, Mexico, is writing music that's being played by orchestras around the world. She's studying to become the next big name in film composing. From the Fronteras desk in Hermosillo, reporter Kendall Blust of KJZZ brings us the story about composer Sol Silvina. Musicians in Sonora are familiar with a saying that calls their state where art ends and carne asada begins. But a rising star from Hermosillo is changing that narrative. 
Last summer, the symphonic orchestra in the central Mexican state of Puebla played the world premiere of Sol Silvina's seven-part suite, My World. The 16-year-old from Hermosillo is just getting her start in the world of composing, but believes you'll be hearing a lot more of her music, and soon. My main goal is to, you know, be a film composer. Making the soundtracks for big films and winning Oscars. The quiet teen has reason to be confident. Her music has been played by orchestras from Greece to Bulgaria, and she's studying composition at a leading conservatory. Pero ella supera todas las expectativas que yo tenía. David Vega was Sol's first music teacher. He says she surpassed all his expectations, but he's known she had musical talent since she picked up a recorder in her elementary school music class at age nine. She was so far ahead of her peers, he started giving her piano lessons on the side. Then Sol became seriously ill, and her mother decided to homeschool her. Vega asked to continue teaching her in his time off. Le dije, Within months, she'd surpassed his skills on the piano, and she was hooked. I kind of felt that spark, you know. Sol sometimes worked with teachers, but often learned on her own. In 2020, at 14, she graduated from high school, and that fall made her debut as a piano soloist with the Symphonic Orchestra in Puebla, playing Haydn's Concerto for Piano in D Major. By then, though, her interest was already shifting from performing to composing, with dreams of working on big Hollywood productions and films by her favorite director, Guillermo del Toro. Music helps bring the film to life. It really makes people connect with the film better. I feel like this way I can um, express myself more. Like, I have the freedom of being able to create the stories or these images and transmit that to other people. She is... A diamond. <laughs> Alfonso Lopez is a cellist with the Sonoran Philharmonic Orchestra in Hermosillo. For me, it's, a, it's an honor to participate with her in, in her projects. He's recorded several of Sol's works and arrangements, like her version of Peponi by the Piano Guys for cello and piano. She write the cello part like she was like a full composer with 15 years of experience or something. He says Sol's work is that of a much more experienced composer, and he believes her success will open doors for other Sonoran musicians, especially since she was accepted last year to a prestigious music school in Paris. Former teacher Vega agrees. Sol está llevándose el nombre de Sonora, el nombre de Hermosillo para Paris. Vega says Sol is taking the name of her state and her city to the world, encountering that carne asada narrative. After more than a year of studying virtually from Hermosillo, Sol is now taking in-person classes in Paris, where she made this recording in the hallway. She arrived at the end of last year, accompanied by her mother and grandmother. They're the ones that are supporting me throughout everything. I mean, they've sold everything they own. The family sold their home and left behind everything and everyone that couldn't fit in a single suitcase apiece. But Sol's mom, Sol Agramont, says she wouldn't have it any other way. For me, that was like a no-brainer. I had to do it. She's always believed her daughter's talents would take her anywhere, she says. And without conservatories of that caliber in Sonora... We had to move anyway, you know. <laughs> it was like uh, to the southern part of the country or, or someplace else. Her family's dedication and her mom inspired Sol's first orchestral piece, Moving On, which became part of the 22-minute suite played by the orchestra in Puebla. 
For now, Sol is honing her skills and working toward a doctoral degree in orchestration and composition for film. At this point, music isn't just you know, what I like to do. It's been a part of who I am. And one day that music might just be playing on the big screen. Kendall Blust, KJ Zizi News, Emocio. I think it was Louis Armstrong who once said, the kingdom of music is always accepting new citizens. One mission of Special Collections at the University of Arizona Libraries is to collect and preserve the stories of Tucsonans, stories about topics and events both big and small. Pedro Gonzalez grew up in Barrio Viejo until his family was displaced by urban renewal. He remains a Barrio resident today, and he's been a neighborhood organizer most of his adult life. In this edition of Archive Tucson, produced by Angus Anderson, we'll hear Pedro Gonzalez share some favorite random memories of being a teenager in Tucson. I went to Tucson High, I think I was a freshman in 70. It was like something new. You met different people and in different cultures because, like I said, that's all we knew was black and, black and brown. Over there was a little bit of everything. So the whole thing was to cruise around, right, right, on the side of uh, Tucson High, not not the main street, not uh, Sixth Street or Fifth Street, but where the field, where the football field's at, a little bit to your right, you could drive that one street. You could drive through, but where it was happening was the circle, and everybody called it the circle, and and there were all the raza and the and the, the blacks and the raza, all the raza would 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 hang out right there, the the women, the guys, the girls, and and everybody would drive around in real slow. That's where you got to see, uh, you know, all the all the girls, you know, all the, you know, I mean, it, it, that's what it's about, man. You know, it's about the girls, you know, the older guys had cars, you know, and they had them, you know, uh, hot rod style. Very few low riders at the time. Even me, when I had my truck, I had a 52, I would cruise through there too, like 20 times. <laughs> and sometimes they would stop you, you stop and talk, you know. And the thing about it that the cops, Hardly ever went. Like maybe during a school session, you know, cops would go around a little bit, you know, because there was a lot of homes too at the time. On the other side of Tucson High, right in front of the vocational building, there was a lot of homes right there. Older folks, older white folks. But they all had grandkids that went to Tucson High and they all hung out there and they were all hippies. They used to be getting high right there, like nothing in front of the, in front of the school. They, you know, there was, a, there was a lady that had a house on the back side of Tucson High, and the lady would not sell. And so they built, they built that, uh, the whole back part of the school around her house. It was a white lady too. We always used to pass by, we used to always say, we're proud of you that you didn't sell out. Shakey's Pizzas, where all of us used to hang out on Fridays, on Drachman. That was the place to hang out. We'd go eat pizza after a, a Friday. You, you know, everybody used to go to the uh, football game. But we never went to go look at the game. <laughs> I remember my, my mom and my dad would ask us, who won? And, and like, I, I don't know. Because nobody, none of us knew who won. Because we would leave. We, I mean, who cares? 
And you know who we got along with the best? Was with the hippies. We all got along good. I, I, I can never remember a hippie being racist. Like, wow, man, we used to go, wow, like that white hippie or that white chick hippie, they don't treat us like we're different. They don't treat us by our color. Uh, it was the jocks that, you know, we, we you know, I mean, they, they think you got ego. We got egos too, you know? And uh, so Saturdays, like I had a girlfriend, so I was all, we were always together, you know? You know, on Sundays, you know, Saturdays, you know, I worked during the day, all day. We would all hang out, you know, and, and we go to Marana sometimes and, and buy a, a pig and then we slaughter it. And then, you know, we had a big thing of hot water and everything, you know, and then and, and, and it was cheaper to do that than go to the grocery store and buy, you know, the meat. I got to the point where I didn't want to, we didn't want to slaughter no more animals. <laughs> you know, started feeling bad for them. Also, one of the things we did um, was we used to go to the irrigation canals over there by Cortado Road. They're not there no more. They're pretty wide, you know, the water runs for all the irrigation to irrigate all the, you know, cotton, whatever they were growing. And we used to go there and we used to go swimming there on the, on the water, with all of us. It was, I mean, my truck would be full and then, you know, we we take, you know, carnitas and all that, you know, we all the, all the, all the you know, all our, the teenagers, we used to hang out at A-Mom too. Back then it was just straight, no speed bombs or nothing. We, we used to go to the middle part that, that we call Lover's Lane. We were always at Lover's Lane. I mean, all of us, we used to be all the group of guys and girls who would go up there and everything was safe, everything was cool. You know, nobody, no, there was never no shooting. Yeah, maybe there was one or two fights, but you know, it was all controlled, you know? Like, okay, yeah, that's enough, you know, that's enough. I remember we used to even go on our bikes up there without no brakes. That was the challenge. You used the, your foot as a brake, you know, the, 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 the sole of your tennis shoe. We were into the outdoors, but we weren't into like the, like buying camping gear and, you know, all that. If we went somewhere, we stayed overnight, we'd sleep in our trucks, you know, whatever, in the bed, whatever. None of this tent stuff or, you know, we could have the yuppie stuff, no? The other place where we used to hang out too, Rennington's Pass. The first time that we went, it was all the homies. You know, all the homies from the barrio, you know. And as we're walking, we see two, uh, we were teenagers. These were like maybe, I don't know, late 20s, early 30s, girls coming. And as they were coming closer and closer, we kept looking at them. And I said, hey, are, we, are you guys seeing what I'm seeing? They were naked. They were naked. And they, and they passed by us like nothing. You would never see a Latina walking around naked like that. But they, they said hi, you know, they say hi to us and they pass by. And here come their boyfriends. And they're naked too. And they're walking around like nothing, you know. Hi guys. We're like, wow, man. And we felt like we're out of place because we were we had clothes on. Pretty soon there was a bunch of us that would go up there. And I remember at one time, uh, we weren't sure how good the water was, but we saw we saw these white people drinking the water. And so we, we went and when it asked that white guy, he goes, and he, he had long beard. Of course, he was naked, you know, and everything. And uh, we went and asked him, is that water good to drink? He said, I live here, you know, as he tells us, just don't urinate in the water because I drink from that water. So we started drinking it too. So we never got bored because there was always some place to go. It, it was a good time, a beautiful time. 
The storyteller was Pedro Gonzalez. He was recorded and produced by Angus Anderson for Archive Tucson, an oral history project of special collections at the University of Arizona Libraries. You can find more stories from Tucson's past, including the full interview with Pedro Gonzalez, at archivetucson.com. This year, Hispanic Heritage Month runs through mid-October. Tucson is celebrating one of its most important cultural influences through music, dance, and tradition. And one genre of music is serving as an excellent way for a group of contemporary students to embrace their Mexican heritage. Paola Rodriguez has the story. Crowds of people from all different backgrounds enter the Tucson Fox Theater to see this year's sold-out Mexican Independence Day concert. While they find their seats, Mariachi Aslan sits in the building next door, eating with their peers and preparing for the performance. Uh, turkey, bacon, cucumber. So the bacon ones are called cloves. Why is it so Mariachi Aslan de Puebla High School is a Tucson staple. The student musicians perform in competitions across the state of Arizona. But tonight, the group is performing at this year's Mexican Independence Day concert hosted by the Consulate of Mexico and the Tucson Mexico Sister Cities in collaboration with the Tucson Symphony Orchestra. For many of the students, it was a chance to celebrate their heritage. I think the feeling that it gives me and just the sense of culture, I feel like, it's a really big part of my ethnicity, so it's where I come from, it's, you know, it's who I am, it's what I know what to do. Giselle Audriere is a sophomore at Pueblo High School, but this is her first year with the band. I've been playing mariachi my whole life. I started off with guitar, and then later on I switched to violin because I wanted to be in the front. Mariachi Aslan has been a way for students like Laudriere to try new things, such as performing with the Tucson Symphony Orchestra. I've never, you know, I've never experienced this type of thing where you mix those two things together. I've never done that before. For example, Mariachi blended with operatic singing. Director John Contreras says that weeks of rehearsals have prepared the group to perform beloved songs from Mexico, songs that carry a lot of meaning. And we do a one called Cancion Mixteca. That song starts off with the, the words, Que lejos estoy del suelo, donde nacido. Inmensa nostalgia invade mis pensamientos. They're writing about a person who is not in their homeland anymore and they think con constantly of, of what it was like to be back in their homeland. Their performance included other songs like El Son de Alegre, Un Mundo Rado, and Popuri Mexicano that brought the crowd to its feet. 
Opportunities like the Mexican Independence Day concert and Mariachi Aslan allow students to embrace their background in ways their parents weren't able to, like Parrot and Pima County Board of Supervisor Adelita Grijalva. I'm really proud because when I went to school, we didn't have opportunities like this. It does sort of transcend all of the negativity around culture and really, I just love seeing them embrace their language and their heritage. Grijalva's daughter, Adelina, says that the influence of mariachi has also influenced her family. My mom said that she wasn't really a fan of mariachi music and so was my family. They didn't really like it that much and then when I got in it, they became more involved and they loved it. It's like on all of their playlists and stuff, so I think it's really cool that mariachi has that impact on people. Music, dance, and food can be touchstones when getting to know a new culture or reconnecting with your roots. Arizona native Madeline Bachelier now lives out of state. For her, the concert served as a reminder of home. Every time I come back here, it's a very warm, welcoming experience and to just be around people that share similar interests, backgrounds, and come to events like this, it's just nice to feel at home again. Tucson's proximity to Mexico only amplifies the influence of Mexican heritage in the local community. Director John Contreras makes it a point to remind his students of where they come from. You know, we're a border town, whether whether people think it or not. But Tucson, we're only 45 minutes from the border. You know, like I, I tell these kids, I'm like, literally, like, you can probably go back one or two generations and there's your roots in Mexico right there. For violinist Giselle Laudriere, mariachi is more than just music. It's a representation of her heritage. Something that I really hope that they do know is that it's really, you know, it's part of our everyday lives. And for them to like it so much gives us pride. The curtains have closed on their performance, but the future is bright for Mariachi Aslan. Next year, they will be taking their talents to a national stage and are expected to represent Arizona at the 4th of July parade in Washington, D.C. I'm Paola Rodriguez, Arizona Public Media. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. The show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's news director is Christopher Conover. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. Production assistance by Leah Britton. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.